You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. And uh, if you can be getting your Bibles open, please, to Matthew chapter 26. We're working our way on down through the next section in Matthew 26. Uh, Before we read here this morning, I have an idea that uh, the question I ask, I've got an idea what kind of an answer I would get from most of you. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but um, are you one that when we're in a crowd of people like this, or maybe in a classroom setting, or maybe just a small group of people, and somebody steps up and says, I need someone to volunteer for something, or I I need someone to tell us how this is done, or, you know, somehow, someway you have to volunteer to do something. Are you one that all of a sudden sits on your hands, kind of go into your seat, and you just sit on your hands? I'm not getting up. I'm not raising my hand. I'm not going to speak up. And you could be a great help if somebody would just stand up and say something or would do something about what was what the need was at the moment. And there's a lot of people that, um, of course, would jump right up. You've got, you know, those people who have no problem speaking in a a crowd and so forth. But a lot, a lot of people won't stand up at a time when they really need to stand up and say what needs to be said. I understand being born shy or whatever you want to call it, or your human nature is not just to be out front I don't want to be the kind of guy somebody says that, uh, you know, just put me in the background in church. I don't need my name recognized. I don't want to be up in front. But uh, I will tell you this, to be a Christian and to be one that really wants to serve God in a proper way, God needs stand-up people. He really does. He needs people that are willing to say so, that I know Christ and that He is everything to me. A lot of people don't want to stand out in a crowd. They want to be the little mouse in the corner. But when it comes to letting Christ be known in your life, you need to be willing to be a stand-up person for the Lord. Uh, Title of the message here this morning is Acknowledging That Jesus Is The Christ. That'll become a little more understandable why I gave that title as I work my way down through the message this morning. Acknowledging That Jesus Is The Christ. And if you'll pick up with me, Christ has been uh, taken from now that Garden of Gethsemane. Um, You know, Judas walks up, plants that kiss of betrayal on him. Peter whips out his sword and cuts Malchus's ear off, the servant of the high priest. Jesus picks it back up and heals the ear for him and uh, basically says, guys, you you could have taken me at any time in the temple or anywhere I was, and, and why are you coming at me now with these swords and spears and staves trying to take me like this. And so now they bring him to the next stage uh, on the way toward Calvary. He's getting very close to Calvary. Everything is so pivotal at these points that we're talking about. And I hope you'll do your best uh, to, to try to understand and listen to what I'm trying to share with you this morning. We'll pick up in verse 57. 57 to 68. That's the, my Bible is even divided up that way in different sections. So in verse 57, they've taken Christ now, and they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. 
where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Some people believe those were the Sanhedrin, uh, those 70 that would gather together and, and would rule and would reign in the lives of men and so forth. Verse 58, but Peter followed him afar off under the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now, did he really say that, guys? Remember what it was he really said? He wasn't making a reference to the temple. I believe it was 46 years in the making. Uh, He was referring to this temple, his own body, that will be taken by the hands of sinners and will be crucified and buried and raised again three days later. So, uh, verse 61, and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? This is interesting. But Jesus held his peace. You ever wonder why? And the high priest answered and said unto him, uh, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Now things get to moving here. After that adjuring, verse 64, Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Boy, you talk about kicking it into high gear. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Can you pause for a minute and look up here? What do you think that did to those guys who were just looking for something that they could use to take him to Calvary to crucify him? Now, not only is he saying, yeah, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, but it's not going to be that long. You're going to see me sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven and coming in the clouds of heaven. I'll have power and I'll have glory. And they look at each other with these bugged out eyes and like, we don't need anything else to be able to take him. So look in verse 65. Then the high priest rent his clothes. As you know, they would rip their clothes as a sign of anguish and, and astonishment. Rent his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold now, ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then, has anybody ever had somebody do this to you? Then did they spit in his face. One of the highest forms of of mockery that you could give to a person in that day and age. And they buffeted him, which means to beat him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, uh, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Now let's pause there and we'll have a prayer and get into the message here. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being in church here today, God. And Heavenly Father, I want to personally thank you for the way you dealt with my heart about this subject. And I pray that, God, I would be able to demonstrate those thoughts to our congregation today, 
under the power of the Holy Spirit. May God, you work in our hearts today. Wake us up in a spiritual way. Stir us up, God, to be willing to be those when it is time to take a stand for Christ, we would take that stand for you. So bless the message, and I'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you have just kind of stood back and thought about a passage like this, but here you have what we call the so-called human high priest, just a man who's holding a position, condemning the actual heavenly high priest. Did you you ever think about that? Jesus really is the the high priest of heaven. Come down here to this earth uh, to represent for a common man. And here's a human being condemning the actual high priest. And the one who was supposed to intercede between common man and holy God, this, this human priest, is condemning the true judge. It's an astounding story. When you really look at the picture for what it is, it's amazing what was going on here. The injustice, you think about injustice that takes place in our country and in politics, are nothing compared to what was taking place here. But these men have lost the meaning and the purpose of their position. A high priest representing the common man to a a holy God, interceding in ways for them. They've lost their entire purpose. A true high priest was to humbly and and with fear and trembling bring people into a right relationship with God. That was what they were supposed to do. People that would go to bed at night with guilt on their heart and souls to help bring them through a sacrifice uh, into a right relationship once again with the holy God. They knew the life-threatening danger of misrepresenting Jehovah God. I mean, at all costs. They used to want to honor God and to revere Him and to get the people to revere Him and to worship Him in a proper way and bow down to a loving, caring God. That was what their desire used to be. But now, they have taken the throne of their hearts. They want the admiration of men. They want the praise of men. And somebody else is getting all the praise and not them. It's Jesus. They're ready to do away with this guy. This imposter, they think. But this Christ, (laughs) I love this. This Christ has won the hearts of the commoners. The common people whose brother, daddy, used to be a leper. Now the daddy is healed. And and, and the man that was lame is now walking. And the the mute is talking. The the deaf are hearing. And the commoners have spread it like wildfire. That this Jesus has got to be that long-awaited Messiah. And he's won their hearts and their praise. He has publicly reprimanded these lowly priests. If you remember in the temple for their thievery and their hypocrisy of their man-made religion. So at all costs, these guys are in to take Jesus out. They're doing everything they can to remove this threat to their personal success and the honor that we used to get when men used to look at us in great admiration and we've lost that now because of this Jesus guy and he's got to die it's the only way it's going to work for them so think about this God takes their misguided efforts you know their effort to try to do away with him and to kill him God takes their misguided efforts as high priests and still uses their mistaken efforts 
to bring common man into a right relationship with God. Because they crucified him. And he died for the sins of man as the Lamb of God. And then as our great high priest to represent us to his heavenly father. And what they tried to do away with, in reality, they allowed us to have access to the very throne of God in heaven. Praise the Lord for that. Let me make some comments about the passage that we had here before us. Number one, there is a time and a place to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah. I want you to read those verses with me again. Look in verse 59. Remember, there is a time and a place to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah. Verse 59, now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none, yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came those two false witnesses, remember we talked about what they said, and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. So the high priest rose and said unto him, hey, answerest thou nothing? In other words, why are you just sitting there? You're not saying a word. Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? What do you have to say about that? Why are you just sitting there like that? You're not saying a word. Verse 63, but Jesus held his peace. He did not speak up like he does in just a few minutes. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee. Remember I told you a while ago things get um, hyped up about right, right about here. I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And notice what he said in verse 64. All of a sudden he speaks up. What made the difference? Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And boy, did the hornet's nest get turned upside down. Anybody ever seen a hornet's nest get busted open? And two dumb teenagers take off running. Anybody, anybody ever seen that? Boy, the bees and the hornets just start stirring and they're looking for anything they can sting. And that's the way it was with these Pharisees, these scribes, uh, these people that wanted to take, I'll just put it this way, these people that wanted to take their competition out of the way. We, we don't want this guy up here getting all the praise and the glory and we got to remove this guy. Here he is setting himself up as some guy that's going to come back in great power and glory sitting beside the Father in heaven. Get this guy out of here, let's kill him. And the plan of God begins to be unveiled in a very, very real way from this point on. I told you there is a time and a place to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah. So these false witnesses came with, guess what? False witness. And none of it could be corroborated. Everybody that had something to share, they couldn't really verify it. Till these two other guys come along, and then with their story, they're able to get him to actually to speak up. Jesus knew that their accusations were false. All these guys, these little chihuahuas coming up and nipping at the heels of Christ, if I can put it that way. If you have a chihuahua, it meant no offense to your little yippy chihuahua. <laughs> but they are yippy. <laughs> That's the way these little scribes and Pharisees were and all these false witnesses trying to take him down. Hey, listen. Jesus knew everything they were saying was false. And he also knew that their, in, what their intentions were. He knew they were just trying to trap him. There was no integrity or desire to know truth. 
uh, from Christ, and he knew that. And so he just held his peace. He just didn't say anything. Is everybody listening for just a minute? Actually, through the rest of the message would be nice, but if you'll listen about this point, Christ was sitting there, and everybody's incredulous. They're like, why aren't you saying anything? Do you hear what all these guys are saying about you? You haven't spoken up one time about what they have said. Jesus knew it wouldn't do any good. All it would do is stir the mud and give them something to chew on even more, to spit out at him. It would do no good because they didn't want to know truth anyway. They really didn't. They just wanted something to be able to stab him in the back with, so he held his peace. He knew it would just make things worse. How good are you at doing that? When the little doggies are yipping at your feet and when people are putting you down and saying things that you know are not true about you and if you'd stop and think it all the way through, all they're wanting to do is stir you up. If you think it through, but you've got to stand up and defend yourself, buddy. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stand up for myself. I'm going to let people know, you know who I really am and... and uh, and let me ask you a question. How did that go? When you stood up and told him the truth and you said, that's not true about me. I'm not like that at all. I'm really a good person or whatever it is they're saying about you. Did that straighten everything up all of a sudden? And did they like, oh my goodness, what were we thinking? I'm so sorry. That never happens. Hardly ever. You know that. Does that ever happen? Because those guys don't want truth. All they're really wanting to do is to stir us up. You know, it would be good for us sometimes to uh, remember what Proverbs 26 and verse 4 says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be like unto him. You're not going to accomplish anything with those guys anyway. Why don't you just learn that this really is not about you anyway? I mean, there's a time that, you know, if maybe integrity has been maligned, or maybe your wife or something to that effect that you need to share and say, hey, listen, here's the truth. But then back off of that. Christ didn't say anything about himself back to them because they didn't want to know the truth and it wouldn't have done any good. I would just encourage us. Maybe there's just, hey, maybe there's just some times it'd be good for us just to not have to say anything to some people and just leave it alone. You're just going to stir the water anyway, and that's all they want. Jesus knew better than to cast his pearls before the swine. You ever heard that little expression, don't cast your pearls before the swine? You know why? Because swine and pigs have no idea of the value of a pearl. And all they're looking for is their next bite of food. And they'll trample on something that's beautiful and high value just to get over to something else to satisfy their own flesh once again. And he knew better than to cast his pearls, the truth, before swine. They didn't want the truth anyway. <clears throat> but when the high priest, now listen to this, and this is where I, I believe that uh, the real issue begins to stand up here. But when the high priest in verse 63 demanded of him by the name of the living God, please hear what we're saying. When he was demanded by the name of the living God to tell them whether he was the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus now is demanded to answer to the authority who sent him to die for the world. 
Now the authority of Almighty God has been invoked. Now to be able to stand up and give the truth really is to give credit to Almighty God. And he now knows this. I'll answer to my father if you're going to invoke his name. Look at verse 63. But Jesus held his peace and the high priest answered and said unto him, here it is, I adjure thee by the living God. He knows who the living God was. That's his heavenly father. That thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the son of God. And with that on the line, Jesus is going to stand up. He is going to give the truth and tell them, yes, I am that son of God. And instantly when the authority of almighty God is invoked, you could even put it this way. The testimony of of God himself is on the line. Jesus then tells them the truth, that he is the Christ. And I love how he put it. Look Look at it in verse 64. Jesus saith unto him, thou hast said, in other words, that I am the Christ. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So he stands up, man. He tells the truth. He tells everything that they really needed to know. That these other guys, they still don't care about the truth of that. But the testimony of, if you'll let me put it this way, the testimony of God was at stake. And Jesus Christ now knows it is time to stand up and tell the truth. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. And there's coming a day you're going to see me coming back in great power. Those guys will one day see him coming back in great power. Now was the time, there was the place that Christ needed to acknowledge that he was the very son of God in honor of the authority of his father, not in honor to these guys over here that are just trying to take him down. But it was almost like he was giving testimony to his own father, almost, knowing that all these guys was going to hear, I am the Christ. And now it is on, guys. I mean, they're going to take this guy all the way down as far as they can and have as much fun doing it as they possibly can. Let me say number two, and this is where I hope that we will listen very carefully. There's a price to pay for acknowledging that Jesus is Christ. Everybody awake this morning? There is a price to pay for acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, this was the beginning of the end of Christ's life. I mean, notice what it cost him to tell the truth about himself. I mean, in verse, look in verse 66. It brought death to him. What think ye, they answered, and said, he's guilty of death. And then it cost him physical suffering. Look in verse 67. Did, then did they spit in his face? Again, has anybody ever done that to you? Somebody that didn't like you? Somebody that was trying to really stir you up? If you've ever been spit in the face, you know what that does to a man. It's one of the lowest degrading things a man can do to another man. They spat in his face. Uh, Verse 68, it cost him being mocked, saying, prophesy unto us, uh, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Now, what we weren't told there is that more than likely what they had done was to place this bag over his face, and he can't see anybody. And so while his face is covered, they would smack him in the face and punch him in the face. And it got even worse with the Roman soldiers later on. And so with his face all covered up and him supposedly not being able to see who it was that was hitting him, they would mock him and say, now tell us if you're really the son of God, who was it that hit you? God would know that. 
And what they didn't know and understand was he created them in the womb of their mother. He knew the fingerprint that was coming across his face. He knew everything there was to know about those men out out there uh, who were um, punishing him. He knew the number of hairs on their head and on and on it could go. But it's going to cost, it cost him being mocked. And we know what more it cost Jesus, to, to be honest about his true identity, the scourging and the forsaking of his disciples, the crown of thorns that were beaten into his skull. Why did those things happen? Because he was honest about who he really was. He stood up and acknowledged, yes, I am the Son of God. And from the point that Christ acknowledged and told the truth that he knew was really the truth from his heart, I mean the world came at him with everything they had. Trials and persecution came like nobody else has ever experienced. I mean even the trial itself, if you want to study it out, the trial was scandalous. You weren't supposed to uh, try somebody at night. That was against their own law. I could list off to you numbers of things that I have written down here, about seven or eight things that they did that broke their own law about uh, trying Jesus at the time they did and in the manner that they did it. And Christ knew every one of their rules. And he knew that when every one of their rules was being broken, and he knew they weren't being fair with him, I'm just telling you, it cost him something to, to be honest about who he really was. Jesus knew the price he would have to pay to acknowledge his Messiahship, even the scandal of his mock trial. Which brings it home to us here this morning. And please listen, I'm going to wrap my message up with this here today. Guys, Eastside Baptist Church, there's a time and a place where we need to acknowledge uh, that Jesus is the Christ. There's a time and a place where Christians need to be stand-up people. I understand being shy. and I understand not wanting to get up in front of a crowd. I, I would be sick in high school when it was my turn to give a speech. Oh, I just can't make it to school that day. I don't want to get up in front of people, and many of you would be much like that. But when it comes time to let the world know that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God, and He's the King of my life, it's time to stand up and let the world know. It's not time to sit and be silent at a time like that. There's people around us that need to know Christ is real, that He is supreme in my life. He's not just one of many things in my life that have a lot of importance to me. He's the most important thing in my life. And without him, I'm nothing. And the world needs to know there's something like that that is worth standing up for, even if it costs you something to do so. I've had different people in here tell me, Pastor, I took a stand for some things for God. I, I, I let them know that I... I'll name just a few things, and you can come up with others that others have said to you. I told them I don't go out and drink like I used to drink anymore. And those friends just disappeared. You know, you don't have to get rid of old bad friends when you get saved. Trust me, they'll get rid of you. <laughs> That's the way it happens. It's going to cost you something. For you to stand up and let your family that doesn't know Christ as Savior to stand up in a humble, please hear that, in a humble, godly way, not in pride and arrogance, but stand up for what is right. Your family needs to know he's king of kings and lord of lords. He's supreme in my life. I mean, he's worth standing up for. 
He's worth me suffering some things in my life that don't feel good. Uh, Maybe even persecution that might come my way. Think about the missionaries around different places in the world, especially in the Muslim countries, for you to stand up and to state that Jesus Christ is supreme. He's the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One of God. Uh, You're putting your very life on the line to be able to share your testimony and to know that uh, I'm willing to stand up and make Christ known in, uh, in the area where I work or, or with my family that doesn't know God. But I'm telling you, it's time to stand up and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He is the Messiah. Not being so shy about who you really are. Let somebody know that you love Him. I'm not ashamed of what He has done for me and how I want to I live for Him. might cost you some relationships that you had for years but look what you gain look at the relationship you get back from him look at what he does when he comes up alongside of you and you can feel that love you know that God is honored and he he loves that his son is being lifted up like that God's looking for people like that You may have to give up some things if you proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. You may have to give up some programs that you watch, because you know that's nothing to do to be God-honoring. Some sports programs that you're involved in just to be able to be faithful to the Messiah. And I love sports, I really do. But I love my Savior a whole lot more than any little round ball that can be tossed around a room. We need to get to that place. You may have to adjust your whole life, your style, the way you just have felt very comfortable about the way I serve my God, but to make him first and to stand up and to acknowledge he is the Christ. He's the son of God in my life. You may have to change some things about your own lifestyle so that you can then truly reflect that he is your Messiah and that you have complete allegiance to the son of God Guys, to be able to do that to a world around us, you might have to change your lifestyle and the, and the things that make you feel so comfortable about the way you're living your life. I said it to the men in our Sunday school class um, this morning, and I, and I wish all the guys would be in Sunday school. Man, I wish you were here. We're going through a series on overcoming addictions, more specifically about, about pornography. But uh, I, I, we, we were talking about how we... Uh, We just need to be willing to to take that kind of a stand and to be willing to understand my lifestyle has got to be willing to change. Things can't just remain the same all the time. I've got to be willing to make some major adjustments in my life for things to be right. And it may not feel comfortable, but to put Christ as the Messiah in your life and to put him first is going to require some kind of a price or a cost to our life. We've gotten to a place in Christianity, we're not willing to pay a price to stand up for him. I just want to be comfortable. I want the, and I love the padded pews too, guys. They've even got a little pad up here that I'm standing on, a little nice cushy thing that I can stand on. I mean, I like those things. I love it when the air conditioning kicks on. I'm sorry, ladies, when you put your coats back on, but I mean, I love comfort. Who doesn't? But out in life, God just may be calling on you 
to be willing to take a step up to proclaim that he really is the Christ in your life. God is seeking such to worship him today. The Bible is clear about that. And this morning, I'm convinced in this room, there's a Holy Spirit of God making his way across our congregation and working in our hearts and tapping at our hearts saying, am I worth? Is the Savior worth giving up some of these little physical things in life so that the Savior can be honored like he really deserves to be honored? And if the Spirit of God shows you things in your life, maybe habits and sin and things that I have clung to that I have known in my life that it separates me from letting God shine in my life, then maybe it's time No, it's not maybe, it is time to lay those things aside and just proclaim that God is the king of my life and he is the Messiah. You say, when he did that, when Christ did that, you see what happened? He was crucified. What did Jesus tell us to do? To take up your cross daily and follow me. I'm so glad Jesus stood up and said, I am the Messiah. I'm so glad he went all the way to Calvary. I'm so glad he died on the cross and suffered for me so that I could come to the Heavenly Father and know him as my my Savior and him as my Heavenly Father. Are you willing to bear your cross so that others might see Christ through you? What is it that might be working in your heart today? What, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? I just hope we'll be willing to respond to him. If you're here today and you don't know him as your Savior, what we're talking about here is Jesus willing to go to the cross for our sins, willing to die for what we've done wrong. And if you're willing to take an inward look this morning, friend, do you know, does Christ live in your soul? Is he the Savior of your life? Has he changed you inside out? Has he taken your sins and washed them away? Or are you just trying to take care of life yourself? You know, I'll go to church every now and then. I Every now and then I pick my Bible up, put a few dollars in the offering plate. Are you trying to do it by your own efforts or are you just giving up? Throw your hands up and say, "I, I can't do this. I need somebody else to wash my sins away. I need a Savior to forgive me, to make me a child of the King. If you're not saved today, I'm going to tell you, God would love to be your Savior this morning. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.